0: Our scene this morning begins as two doctors enter the room. Tired
1: walk- of looking at all of these applications, page after page of, I deserve to be let in because of my grades in high school, or I was president of the 4-H club and captain of the lacrosse team. I
2: was valedictorian.
1: Walked dogs
2: at the animal shelter. Third grade tetherball champ. Yeah. Ha. Now, there's a reason to get into medical school. How'd we get nominated to do the review board for these applications anyway?
1: I don't know, but what I do know is this. I am tired. We are now no longer accepting applications to medical school this year.
0: Wait, 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 Am I too late? Guys, guys, am I too late? I've got one more application for you. It's not from me. It's from a friend of mine, and you've got to
2: read it. Sorry, Dr. Lehman. We're done accepting applications.
0: But you need to read this one. You must read it. I I think this application has world's all-time greatest physician written all over it. No, no, wait, I don't just think. I know. I believe it with all that I am.
1: Dr. Lehman, I appreciate your passion, but you've got to give us a better reason than I believe. Come on. Why, from one professional to another, why should we take the time to read one more application?
0: Because unlike, unlike all of those other applications who are counting on self-promotion and raving letters of recommendation, this person, this application has, this person has done his research. That's why.
2: Research, huh? Mm-hmm. I spent eight years at St. Jude's Research Hospital, in Memphis, when I first began my medical career. You've pricked my ears enough to give me five minutes of our time. If I don't like what I hear after five minutes, I'm going home. He's done his research, huh? He has. He has.
0: And I just gave you the
2: applications. And and the
0: research is obvious from the very beginning. And if you want to follow along in your own copy of his application, it's found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. From the very beginning, the research is obvious. The applicant writes, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples, from those who from the beginning were servants of the Word. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, Most Honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything. That you were taught. Now, my esteemed doctor friends, and all the rest of you listening this morning, I realize that anybody could start an application with that. With, I I worked really, really hard, I I looked, and, and this is why it's gonna be really good. So let me unpack that just a little bit. Those first four sentences in your application, the first four verses in the original Greek text, was actually one long sentence. Now, this was not uncommon in the days of antiquity to begin a written history like this. What is notable in this long sentence, the beginning of this application, the beginning of this Gospel of Luke, is how impeccable the Greek is. New Testament scholars agree that of all the Greek in the New Testament, these first Uh, Well, in our Bible, four sentences, but this first introduction is almost perfect Greek. They say the Greek used is so good that that it shows us that this application would have had to be written by a well-trained, highly educated person. It's got great grammar, great penmanship, great punctuation. Simply put, this beginning is a fantastic beginning to a Greek document. And not only that, but the specific way that it was written. The specific way of starting a written history that way is the way, the way, written histories were started back then. See, the first sentence in any ancient Greek literature was very important. It served as our modern day book cover you know, that explained the author and where the book was going, as well as the table of contents and the title page. In fact, in the second century, a teacher named Lucian wrote a book titled, How to Write History. And in it, he wrote, audiences would give their full attention to historians whose work was evidently important, essential, personal, and useful. This book, my doctor friends, this med school application, as we're calling it today, is in the very first sentence demonstrates that it is important. It is essential, it is personal, and it is useful. Now, Luke, in starting his gospel the way he did, was starting it the way all the other credible, believable, and established history writers started a written history. A guy by the name of Herodotus, the famous Greek writer of history, begins his work like this. He says, these are the researches of Herodotus of Halicarnassus." Now, another Greek historian and teacher of rhetoric, Dionysius, tells us at the beginning of his written history, he says, before beginning to write, I gathered information, partly from the lips of the most learned men with whom I came in contact, and partly from the histories written by the Romans of whom they spoke praise. Doctors, these are two statements that you would believe, no doubt. Does that sound like the beginning of the application in front of you?
2: I see the similarities. Keep going. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Luke, as you can tell from his introduction, was not satisfied with what he had read and what he had heard. Again, the first two sentences. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating from among those who from the beginning were servants of the word. Luke was not satisfied just from what he read or what he heard. So he decided to do his own research. And what he wrote was a careful, orderly account of someone who knew what it took to study and research, both from the accounts of those who had written it and from those who had seen it. Notice, he says, the eyewitness reports from those who from the beginning were servants of the word. Servants of the word could also be translated stewards of the word. Now, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says that stewards were either official people who saw what took place, or they were a town's official storytellers. See, in those days, there were no TV cameras. There were no newspapers. There were no internet or cell phones with video capabilities, right? So when a big event happened and word got back to the town, the story would circulate around the village. You know, if it was a war or an earthquake, what took place would make it around. People would become familiar with the story. It would take a common form. Now, as is the case today, the public realized that there are some people more gifted in telling stories than others. So they would nominate people for their job to be official storytellers. And these people would tell the stories of what happened. And if they ever told it wrong, because the story was already common knowledge, they would be corrected. Well, these people could have been the stewards of the word that Luke was talking about. This means that Luke would have been able to look in the eyes, to see the passion, and to discern the truth of the storytellers who were telling what took place. So Luke listened and he read and then listened to how he describes what he did next. Once upon a time, right? No, it was a dark and stormy night. No, he wrote this, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth that you were taught.
1: Could there be more? Okay, 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 I get the point. The man was educated, thorough, careful, and orderly. He read the books and talked to the people, and then he wrote it all down. That may be enough for most people to believe, but I personally need a little bit more proof of research. I am a doctor, after all.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. I can tell that this doctor is gonna be a little more difficult to convince. So let me take a different direction. Bear with me. I happen to know a little bit about the history of this country and the going on of the history in this region. So if I were to tell you, doctors, a story about history that took place here, would you believe me?
2: Maybe, but maybe not. And you don't know how much I know. That's true. So will you answer a question for me?
0: Sure. Who was president of the US in 1905? If I were to tell you, would you believe everything else I had to tell you? The president in 1905 was Theodore Teddy Roosevelt. Now, had I given you more time, you probably would have been able to figure that out, right? Maybe conferred with some of your other esteemed doctor friends, yeah? But I'm going to push this a little bit further, and bear with me. Who was governor of Washington State in 1905? Don't know, do you? His name was Albert E. Meade. He was a lawyer from Kansas, graduated law school in 1885, served as a lawyer there for four years before moving to the Washington Territory. Now, once there, he had a couple of good positions in politics. He was the mayor of Blaine, Washington, the same year he was a member of the Washington State Representatives, 1892. He was a prosecuting attorney for five years. And then in 1904, he upset the U.S. Senator George Turner in the race for governor. He held that office when? 1905 the same year that Theodore Roosevelt was president. Allow me, dear doctor friends, to keep going. Who was mayor of Seattle in 1905? Anybody? Richard Ballinger. Okay, maybe Seattle's a little bit too far away, though. Bear with me. I'm making a point here. Let's go to Court d'Alene, who was mayor there in 1905. Don't know, do you? A guy by the name of H.V. Scallon. The minutes of the Chamber of Commerce meeting on June 10, 1904, show that a, 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 a president of the board, a chairman of the board, Scallon, was taking notes. One week later, June 18, 1904, it shows that Mayor Scallon had called a special meeting. In that week, his position had changed. He was now mayor. He served in that role for four years. Is Coeur still too far away from you? Maybe so. Mayor of Spokane, 1905. Anybody? It was a Democrat named Floyd L. Daggett, mayor of Spokane. Should you believe me now that I know some of the things going on, some history? Oh, wait, I'll push further. Here in Spokane, the Reverend Dr. George W. Wallace, formerly of Chicago, was the lead pastor of the, of the Westminster Congregational United Church of Spokane. It's a mouthful. The oldest church at that time. It had been established in 1879. Now, with the history that the Reverend Wallace had in the city, you would think he would have some clout, right? But, but, he had a secretary named George Brinkerhoff. His secretary would call roll every Sunday. Now, who had more clout, the lead pastor or the secretary? Recent research shows. Truthful, the secretary of a church is actually more powerful than the lead pastor. So, I could have told you that in 1905, Westminster Congregational Church of Spokane had two senior pastors.
2: Yeah? All right, Dr. Lehman, you've made your point. You've done your research. Thank you. If you were to tell me what had gone on back in the place in the region of 1905, I'd believe you. But what does that have to do with Luke's med school application?
0: Thank you. Let me show you. In the third part of his application, for those following along, chapter 3, verse 1. In the third part of his application, Luke was demonstrating facts and figures. What you wanted to see. Facts and figures that he had done his research. He begins like this. It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was tetrarch over Galilee. His brother Philip was tetrarch over Iturea and Traconicus. Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. My respected colleagues who want facts and figures. Luke just gave you six historical reference points proving he did his research. Six points. And he started with the big picture. Tiberius. Governor excuse me, Emperor of Rome in 14 A.D. So if you do the math, the 15th year of his reign would have been around 28, 29 A.D. And what Luke is doing here is setting the stage on the world, the power government in the world at that time, the Roman Empire, kind of like I did by starting out with who's the president of the U.S. Now from there, Luke moves to more regional. The next three names he lists are connected with political organization of Palestine. Pontius Pilate next. but to understand his position, let me explain the other names first. The word tetrarch. Some of you, uh, it has ruler in your Bibles also. Tetrarch means governor of the fourth part. There was a long-time ruler in Palestine, Herod the Great. He had ruled for about 40 years, and he died in 4 B.C. His kingdom was divided up amongst his three sons. Herod Antipas, One of his sons was ruler or tetrarch over Galilee. You see that in the text. The Romans, the world leaders, liked Herod Antipas. He reigned for about 43 years. Now Philip, Herod's brother, was given the area of Iturea and Trachonicus. He ruled for about 37 years. The city Caesarea Philippi was named after him and built by him. His third son, Archelaus, Herod the Great gave him Judea, Samaria, and Edom. But he was a bad king. A bad king, so bad that the Jews living in that area petitioned Rome and said, please give us some other ruler. And Rome was tired of all the unrest in Judea, so they said, we're going to put one of our own there. And they appointed governors to directly oversee Judea. Thus, back to our text where it says Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea not too many people know much about the fourth name Lysanias but so far Luke has proved what he's doing right so let me recap doctors Luke showed us his research by first showing us the world power then showing us the regional rulers kind of like the mayors that I listed off and then he moves to the religious leadership in the area beginning of verse 2 Luke lists
1: off Annas and Caiaphas as the high priests Whoa, whoa, whoa 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 hold on one minute you said high priest." Mm-hmm. like more than one. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know a thing or two about Jewish religious history myself, Shalom, and I <laughs> and I know that there was never more than one high priest. That was against the rules. Okay,
0: okay, my doctor friend. So you could raise a legitimate argument that Luke messed up. You could say because of that one mess up, we don't need to read his application. Yeah. Wow, remember how I told you the Reverend George Wallace was senior pastor of the Westminster Congregational Church of Spokane? But remember how I also told you that George Brinkerhoff was his secretary and, you know, who knows who had more power? Yeah? It was kind of like that. Okay? In the old days, the office of high priest had been hereditary and for life. But then the Romans came in. And they created all sorts of chaos. In fact, in a a stretch of about 50 years, there were no fewer than 28 high priests. You're right, my doctor friend. There were not two high priests in the 15th year of Tiberius' reign. Annas had already served his time from AD 7 to AD 14, and after that, four of his sons, and now Caiaphas, his son-in-law, was in the office of high priest. Therefore, although... Caiaphas was the reigning high priest. We know Annas was the power behind the throne. Huh. On a completely different side note, John chapter 18, verse 13. This is why Jesus was taken to Annas first instead of to Caiaphas. Annas was still the most influential priestly figure in the land. Does that make sense? Doctors, does does that make sense? In these one and a half years, short verses at the beginning of chapter 3 Luke proves over and above that he has done his research and that is why that is why you guys should take time to read this application. Doctors will you read it? Will you give it a chance?
1: Well you have proven to me that this guy has done his research I guess the least I can do is look over his application although I am curious with how detailed and thorough he is what kind of focus he could bring. What will jump out in this application and say, oh, that's what this guy is all about. Ah, but
2: that's gonna have to wait until next time. My wife tells me I have family at home waiting for leftover turkey and ham. Mm. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Lehman. You're welcome, and Dr. And thank Mike. you. You know, we've done a lot of work already, but uh, we might have some, an adventure with this Luke's application. So I'll see you next time. Sounds good. Our scene closes with two doctors
0: walking off stage. I tell you what, that was the longest sermon introductory skit I've ever seen. Now I get to preach. (laughs) Just kidding. Luke's Gospel, The Doctor is In. Today is the beginning of a mini-series called Luke's Med School Application, and this series kicks off an adventure, a journey, a voyage that we as a church will take together through the gospel that many people say Luke wrote. Why would we begin a series like this? Why would we argue to take a minute to look at this gospel. A couple really quick reasons. No matter how many times you've heard it, no matter how many times you've read it, God will still reveal more to you through this. That's part of the fun. So we read and look again. Perhaps you've grown cold to the Sunday school story. It may be time for you to hear from a fresh voice, the voice of a doctor as we saw from Bruce and from Donna, when a doctor speaks, you guys listen. So we look again. One more reason. In today's world, we are taught to question faith. Come out of a scientific age where everything has to be proven by f- and figures. And on any given night across America, you'll have students sitting in their room or libraries doing homework, reviewing dates and people for a history exam. All pushed as fact because it's written in a textbook. But our kids are not necessarily taught to question the facts and figures in the textbook, but they are taught to question anything religion. So I want to say let's question, but let's do it having fully immersed ourselves in Luke's application, so we know what we're looking at. Let's look again. The goal this morning was not to prove the Gospel of Luke, is true or not true. The aim this morning was to say that since careful research was done, this document is worth looking at again. Over the next weeks and months, we will see that Luke has done his research. And now it's time for us to do ours. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for beginnings like this. We thank you for fresh starts, fresh starts of old stories, fresh starts of stories that are new and dear to our heart, near and dear to our heart. And God, we ask now, at the beginning, that you would bless this study in Luke. We ask, Lord, that as we open this gospel, you would show us the ultimate physician in Jesus Christ, and you would show us the power he has to heal, to make new. We pray, Lord, as we go through this, that you would be present. We ask you bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and close in one last song.